Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. I want to continue something my wife started last week. If you weren't here, she shared a message called Chris Miss. And the premise of this message was how we can tend to miss Christmas. And when I say miss Christmas, I mean the real reason for the season. I mean, we can go from Christmas to Christmas to Christmas and forget the Christ in Christmas. And this is not a new thing. This happened at the very first Christmas. There were a whole bunch of characters in Jesus' time that totally missed the day of His visitation. And if you can miss Jesus when He's standing before you in the flesh, there's a high chance, fast forward 2,000 years ago in Australia, we can do the same. And so Kath shared last week about the innkeeper and how he totally missed the moment of his visitation. And what we didn't want to do through this series is just to isolate people, point a finger at them and say how bad they were. No, we want to learn from them so that we cannot make the same mistakes. Because I dare say we do. And so whenever we look at the Scriptures, we need to put ourselves in the story. And can I say this? When we put ourselves in the story, let's not put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus. We love to do that. And the reason we love to do that is because we tend to read the Bible with the eyes of divinity, not humanity. What do I mean by that? I mean, we look at it with history. We look at the Bible through the eyes of history. And because we know what happened, we tend to put ourselves in the place of Jesus. Why did those disciples worry? I'll tell you why the disciples worried. When they were in the boat and there was a storm and Jesus was walking on the water and they thought they saw a ghost. I'll tell you why they worried. For the same reason you would worry. If you were on that boat and it was a dark and stormy night and there was a figure walking on the water. I mean, that's the storyline of a horror movie. (laughs) It was a dark and stormy night. And in the distance, there was a figure walking on the water. You'd be petrified. But because we know the story and Jesus gets in the boat and calms, why were they worried? So we think we are Jesus in the story, but we're not. We're Peter, we're James, we're Andrew, we're John. Some of us are Judas. Wait say who that might be, but I dare say there's a few out there. And some of us are Pharisees. Some of us are the teachers of the law. So let's put ourselves in the story. So I want to look at another character today, not to point the finger at him, but hopefully learn some lessons from this particular gentleman. And the gentleman I want to look at today goes by the name of Herod. Everyone say Herod. Herod. So reading from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, which is the wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one to be born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was overjoyed. Thought of another king coming on the scene. That's awesome. No. The Bible says that he was disturbed. 
And not just Herod, but all of Jerusalem were disturbed. One thing I know about Jesus, following Jesus for as long as I have, He's the great disruptor. He does comfort, but He also disrupts. He comes to comfort, He comes to heal, He comes to bring hope, joy and peace. All that is true. But this is the other side to Jesus. And He comes to disrupt. He comes to disturb. And Herod heard the news that there's another king. And he was disturbed. The word disturbed means agitated. Look at the person next and say, I'm agitated. (laughs) Herod was stirred up. He was shaken. The idea that the Scriptures depict here is the idea of total panic. Herod went into total panic at the thought of another king arriving on the scene. And to understand why he felt like this, we need to do a little bit of a background check on Herod. So I did some research and this is Herod the Great. There's a number of Herods in the Bible. We're talking about King Herod, Herod the Great, who was born somewhere between 37 BC and died at 4 BC. If you Google this, you'll see different dates, but it's an approximation thereabouts. And he ruled Israel, even though he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't even really a king. You can see where the paranoia is starting to creep in. His father did favours for Rome as payment. And as a result, Herod's family was given the right to rule in Judea. Herod, like his father, was a consummate politician. Any politicians here? We love you. It's awesome. Welcome. Roman government, the Roman government gave him an army and as a result, his territory and kingdom was able to extend to Judea, Jordan, Syria and Lebanon. And get this, point six here, I love this. He was so proud of his achievements, he called himself, I love this, the King of the Jews. Who called him that? He did. There's a little bit of pride there, would you not agree? A little bit of pride creeping in. And because of his pride, his jealousy, his insecurity, it caused him to panic at the thought of another king. A newborn king might be a celebration of some, but not to King Herod. He went into full-blown panic mode. And so what did he do? Well, he gathered the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and asked them the question, where is this baby, this new king to be born? And the chief priests and the teachers of the law went to the Scriptures, I love this, and they went to an Old Testament prophecy that said that the Messiah, this this baby king was to be born in Bethlehem. And we pick up the story in verse seven of Matthew chapter two. When Herod called, so then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He went to, uh, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them and it, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Not nappies. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country via another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. Why? For Herod is going to search for a child to kill him. Then you jump to verse 16. Said when Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time he had learnt from the Magi. This is the very first Christmas. And Herod was there. He had an opportunity to witness the very first Christmas with his own eyes. Unfortunately, he totally missed it. He missed Christmas. The question that begs to be asked is, why did he miss it? And can I say, he missed it more than likely for the same reasons you and I can tend to miss Christmas. And so I wanna look at a few things from Herod's life that hopefully will help us in our pursuit of finding Christ either for the first time or at a deeper level this Christmas. And look at some of the things that possibly hinder us seeing Christ in Christmas or any other time of the year for that matter. The first thing we see about Herod is he focused on what was happening to him, not in him. This is the first mistake he made. He said when he realised He'd been outwitted by the Magi. That's why they were wise men. They were like the original wise guys. Outwitted the king. He, He was so mad. In other words, he was more aware of what they had done than the growing rage on the inside of him. I'll say that again. He was more aware, more focused, more concerned with what they did what they said, what they thought, than what was going on on the inside of him. And what was going on on the inside of him was rage. And it was growing. Honey, can you come up here and just help me illustrate a point for just a quick moment? This is my lovely wife, Kath. Everyone say, hi, Kath. Hi. Question. Why 
did the water that was in Cat's cup spill out? Why? Because I hit it. That's the answer, right? Well, if that's the case, because I hit it, no water now. I'm going to ask again. Why did the water in my wife's cup spill out? Was it because I was hitting it or was it because there was water in the cup in the first place? See, if there's no pride in the cup, it doesn't matter what people do to you, the pride's not going to come out. If there's no hurt in the cup, it doesn't matter what people do to you. But guess what? (laughs) (laughs) If there's pride in, it's going to come out. Thank you, baby. And what we tend to do is blame the people, the external things that are happening to us, and don't focus on what's happening on the inside of us. Write this down. It's far more important what happens in you than anything that will ever happen to you. Jesus will disturb the external for us to discover the internal. What causes us to tend to miss Christmas is that we often focus on the outer pressure rather than the inner turmoil. When we choose to focus on the external things, we miss the internal things that are going on. I had a conversation recently with my son, Mitch, and we were just talking about our jobs and what we do. I'm a pastor, he's a youth pastor. And I said, Mitch, do you realise how privileged we are to do what we do? What an incredible privilege it is to be able to serve Jesus and serve people. It's an incredible, and to get paid for it. I mean, it's an incredible privilege. Sadly, there are many people who have walked that privilege and external things have happened and they've forgotten the privilege of it. And they live in a world called church hurt. And I do not believe in church hurt. I believe it's demonic language that's only used when it comes to the church. You don't hear it in any other environment. You don't hear it in any other organisation. You don't hear of people being soccer hurt. Although if it was a thing, it would be true of me because I follow Manchester United and they are not doing so well right now. But no, we only use it when it comes to the church. Because the enemy wants to bring down the church. He doesn't want to bring down the soccer club. He doesn't want to bring down the tennis club. He wants to bring down the church. And it's language that's come into our vernacular and it's got to stop. Hey, there are people at church and people may have hurt you. But if that's the case, then welcome to the club. I don't know anyone who hasn't been hurt by people at church. But we've got to keep the narrative right. Because if we don't, Things are going to grow on the inside of us and it's going to be to our detriment. Are you with me today? There has to come a time where we surrender our feelings. I was talking to a good friend uh, recently 
and they were talking about a situation with one of their family members and, and obviously going through a tough time. And, and uh, he said to his family member, he said, ah, remember this, great pain creates great stories. And I, I sat there listening to her and, and I thought, do I say something? Don't I say something? And then I couldn't help myself. I said, can I just add one? Can I just change that phrase? Because while I agree with the sentiment of what you're trying to say, great pain alone doesn't create great stories. Great pain can create some horrible lives, some horrible stories. But what I've found to be true is not great pain, but surrendered pain. Surrendered pain creates great stories. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and He was about to face the most painful moment in His life, the cross, He said, if this cup or if this pain can be removed from me, so be it, yet not my will surrendered, yours be done. I'm so grateful for 2016. We experienced a lot of pain personally and as a church. But that pain for us has become a great story as we surrendered the pain as a family. My blood infection, my heart surgery, my wife's cancer scare, my son's broken arm, the death of our youth pastor, that, that created a world of pain for me personally and publicly. But gee, it's become a great story. You know why? Because I've surrendered that pain to God. Yes. That means I don't have answers. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't have, I, I don't have answers to why that happened. Yeah. But gee, it's become a great story. I've told it everywhere I've gone. The power of surrendered pain. Yeah. If we can surrender our pain, the Bible says in Matthew 5, verse 13, for you are the salt of the earth. And if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You know, the reason the Bible uses salt as an illustration of what we should be is because salt flavours everything. Yes. If you notice that, and we're meant to be people that flavour everything. Yes. When you put salt on chips, chips become salty. You notice that? But you notice that chips never become, uh, salt never becomes chippy. <laughs> Have you noticed that? We're meant to influence people, not be influenced ourselves. We're meant to be able to go out into the highways and the byways and, and be followers of Jesus and flavour the world. Just like salt does. Everything salt touches turns salty. But salt doesn't seem to be affected by the environment. Salt never becomes chippy. Write that down. It's going to change your life. Herod missed Christmas because he was so focused on that person. That man. That woman. That ex-husband. That ex-wife. Those kids. That pastor. That person on the second row, two in. And I won't look at anyone. But you know who you are. <laughs> Secondly, he formed a plan to deal with the problem, yeah. not the issue. Yeah. Herod gave orders to go, the soldiers to go to Bethlehem and just kill 
any child two years and under. Not quite sure when he was born, not quite sure what he looks like. But you know what? If we cover two years and under, we should get rid of this king. I've heard scholars say, well, at the time, Bethlehem wasn't that densely populated. And so the reality is the amount of babies in the town of Bethlehem at that time probably was no more than 20. Oh, so that makes it okay. How can you be so smart and so dumb? Can I suggest if there was only one baby that got killed, it's too many? So whatever the number was, we don't know. But Herod was so filled with rage, so focused on the outer, not the inner, that he thought, I'm going to fix the problem. And as a result, he missed Christmas. Have, have we missed the Christ of Christmas because we go into problem-solving mode? Yeah. And problem-solving mode for us is always about eradicating the problem. You see, Herod made killing an art form. It wasn't just the babies of Bethlehem that experienced his wrath. Over the course of his life, we read that he had 10 wives and 12 children. And one of his wives' brothers was a high priest. And he was so afraid of this brother-in-law being a high priest. You know what he did? He killed him. And then obviously the wife didn't like that. So you know what he did with the wife? He killed her. He's making killing an art form. Just get rid of the problem. Let's get, get rid of the problem. Yeah. Of his 12 sons, he feared two of them that they would steal his throne. Do you know what he did to those two sons? Killed he killed them. So his 12 sons went down to 10. And five days before his death, he had his oldest son killed for plotting against his throne. That's three of his sons he killed. And as if that's not bad enough, when he was nearing the end of his life and he knew he was about to die, he, up, he, he rounded up all the noblemen and incarcerated them and told the authorities that be, when I die, kill those noble men. Because I know that they will not cry for me. But when I die, I want people crying. This is a wicked, perverted person. But before we point the finger too much, let's just go back to the root of the problem. He did really what you and I do. We try to deal with the problem instead of get to the issue. He was forever trying to remove the problem instead of dealing with the issue. When we talk about killing people, how could he? But when we break it down and say, have we ever tried to get rid of the problem instead of deal with the issue? When we suppress an issue, it always resurfaces as a problem. 
It's what I call a problem on repeat. Do you know if you're living your best life and you're enjoying everything and everyone and you're grateful to God for the life that you're living, it's happy days. But then all of a sudden someone comes along and they seem to have everything you've got and then a little bit more. They're just that little bit better looking. And they seem to attract the attention of the person that you liked. And all of a sudden this thing called jealousy enters our life. And instead of dealing with the jealousy, we say, let's get rid of that person. Let's get rid of that person. Or maybe it's not the person we get rid of. Maybe we choose to remove ourselves and we change church. But this is what I know. If you don't deal with the issue, it doesn't go away. It actually grows. Because if you do change church, or if you do change country, or if you do change home or state, I know what I'll do. This stupid South Australian weather, let's go to Queensland. Man, South Australia can't even get summer right right now. So let's, <laughs> let's go to Queensland. And you go and you, and you find a church because you're a good Christian. But you enter that church with jealousy and you're enjoying it for a little while because you're the flavour of the month. But all of a sudden then someone who's extremely good looking, who happens to like someone that you like, Guess what happens? You get more jealousy. And then you see someone singing and, and you're not in the worship team anymore because they're better than you and it's just a little bit more jealousy and a little bit more jealousy and a little bit more jealousy. And now you're just getting downright hurt, mad and angry and upset and furious. You're carrying around a lot of things. And you say, God, fill me. He can't fill you. You're full of all kinds of other stuff. There's not much room for God to inhabit your life. The only way you can get rid of that is by dealing with it. Giving it to God. God wants us to live like that. So that we can come as empty vessels and say, God, fill us. We often start our prayers with, fill me, Lord. He's like, I can't. You're already full. Yeah. Yeah. What are you full of? You're full of it, yeah. stuff, yeah. junk, yeah. hurt, yeah. pain. It's yeah. problem after problem. Yeah. It's problem on repeat. The fruit will always be the reflection of the root issues in your life. I know I've told this story before, but when I had that blood infection, I was rushed to hospital not knowing what it was. And I was in hospital for three days, not knowing what was wrong with me. I was in excruciating pain. Everyone was gloved and gowned, and this was before COVID. This was 2016. There was masks, gloves, hazmat suits, and you know, I just felt like a, you know, no one, no one wanted contact with me. They just didn't know what was wrong with me. And it wasn't until the third day that they realised that you've got a blood infection, which was both a bittersweet day for me because a blood infection is really serious. 
but at least now they knew what it was. They got to the root issue that my healing process and healing journey could begin. I'd love to tell you Jesus healed me immediately and I just walked out of that hospital that day, I didn't. It was weeks and months of medicine and hospitalisation and visiting doctors and the grace of God. They got me through that and I'll be forever grateful for the medical staff, forever grateful for God, amen? What else can we learn from Herod? Number three, he failed to learn his lesson and he lost his life. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, it says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again in Egypt. He said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. I love this thought that the kingdom of God will not fail. It's amazing to me that Herod set out to kill Jesus and it lands with Herod being dead and Jesus continuing on in the purposes of his father. The struggle between good and evil. I want, you to, I want you to hear this, church. There is a struggle between good and evil. And at times in this world, it looks like evil is winning. I get that. I get it. But know this, that the struggle between good and evil will end in triumph with good and God. The struggle of good and evil will end in triumph with good and with God. I want you to know that. Let the Bible be your narrative. The struggle between good and evil lands in God triumphing and good prevailing. So don't you dare allow evil and all the evil things that seem to be prospering to stop you and hold you from serving and following Jesus. Don't you dare allow these things to miss the Christ in Christmas this year. Jesus is always the centrepiece. God is working His purpose out in humanity and Christ is the centrepiece. Jesus came to help people. The ironic thing is He actually came to help people just like Herod. He came to help people like the innkeeper. He came to help people that are not in church today, that are hungover today, that have woken up somewhere that they don't even know where that is today. He's madly and passionately in love with this world. And this Christmas, I want to remind you of just how good and great our God is. No matter what is happening, no matter what is going on in the world today, in the end, good and God will triumph. In the end, good and God will triumph. So let's not pursue the things of this world. Let's not give up on being followers of Jesus. Matthew 16 verse 29 says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
What it's saying is, what does it profit you if you get everything you want this Christmas? Imagine if you get everything you want. Imagine you put it on the list and, and you got the house, and you got the car, you got the guy, you got the girl, you got the this, you got the that. You got it all. Herod had lots, had a kingdom, a vast kingdom. People at his disposal had it all. Yeah. Yet he had nothing. Yeah. What would it profit us if we got everything we wanted this Christmas? Yeah, but we lost relationship with him. Can we just have the keys come up? That'd be great. This Christmas, let's not let the external pressure affect our internal peace and steal our eternal purpose. Wow. <coughs> let's make a choice to adore Him and not ignore Him. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.